Well, hello everybody. It's good to see you. Thank you for joining us today, members and visitors. We are glad you're both here. And uh, visitors in particular, thank you for sharing your time with us this morning. Uh, Right after this worship, we'll have a period of fellowship, as uh, has already been mentioned, and we hope you'll join us for that. And then after about 15 minutes or so, we'll have Bible classes. We would love for you to join us for that, too. So Jeremy and I are, are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and ever since chapter 16 in the Gospel of Matthew, things have kind of turned towards Jerusalem. And Jesus talks a lot more about what's going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem to be rejected and tried and beaten and crucified and raised from the dead. And there's a lot of talk as well about the first shall be last and the last shall be first. There's a lot of focus on who's in power and how power operates, who's big, who's little, who's young. Who's old? And so today, we come to a part where uh, we have this encounter that Jesus has with someone who everybody who looked at him would say, there's a success. There's somebody who has made it. They have made all the right moves. They have uh, chosen all the right choices They are what I wish I could be. The story of this um, rich man who comes concerned about the condition of his soul. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what's about good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you may not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What should I do? What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So here's an interesting story. This is a story uh, that, that sets up some things about money, some questions about money, and some issues about wealth, and it starts with somebody who I believe is absolutely sincere when he comes to Jesus. I think he is, like you and I are often, we want to know the condition of our soul. We want to know how we stand with God. Is, 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 am I pleasing to God? Am I where I should be in relationship to God? And so he says, you know, what do I need to do? Rabbi, what do I need to do? Teacher, tell me what it is that I need to do. And Jesus says, well, you've been told a long time ago. Moses told you, keep the commandments. I've been doing that. I've been doing that. Done it all my life. 
And Jesus, I think, looks into the heart of this young man. And he knows that even though he has been, you know, keeping the righteousness that the Pharisees would prescribe, that Moses would prescribe, keeping the commandments of the law, that something in him is not satisfied, is not secure about his faith and about his soul's condition. And so Jesus says this, if you want to be perfect, then take all your stuff, everything you've got, and go give it away and come and be my follower. That was the kind of life that Jesus was living. That was the kind of life that his disciples and apostles were living. They were homeless. They were wandering from place to place. They depended on the kindness of strangers to take care of them because they were not dedicating their time to making a living. They were dedicating their time to preaching this gospel. So Jesus says, well, if you're very concerned, why don't you do that? And we're told that the final conclusion is the young man walks away. He won't do what Jesus asks. Uh, because he has so much money and he can't, I guess, imagine what it would be like to lose it. So there's the story for us. That's the story that Matthew preserves. As it happens, Luke tells the same story to us. Mark tells the same story to us as well. So it's obviously a kind of an important event and it kind of helps us to understand some things about how money works and how money works on us. A couple of things about this passage that I thought were interesting as I was looking at it. Uh, number one, Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, and that's like the word that Jesus has used before in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, you know, be like your Father in heaven. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. If you want to be like that, if you want to be perfect, love even your enemies. Love even your enemies. It's that same word, perfect. I looked up how that word is used in a variety of ways. In the Old Testament, when the Jews translate from Hebrew into Greek, they use this word a lot. They use it to talk about what kind of animal is suitable for a sacrifice. It has to be an animal without blemish, without flaw, a flawless animal, an animal that is fully formed the way that it should be, with no injuries. When it talks about human beings, it means someone who is without blame before the law. Paul describes himself that way even while he was living the Jewish life. This young man comes to Jesus. He doesn't feel blameless. He doesn't feel flawless. He's worried about his soul. And Jesus says, well, do this then. Do this. It may be that you're having a conflict with your stuff and with God. So let God win that. Give away your stuff. And that's a bridge too far for this young man. He can't go there. 
even to be fully formed, even to be flawless, even to be without blame. This passage is not saying that, at least as far as I can understand, it would contradict several aspects of the New Testament as well as the Old if it were saying, in order to be pleasing to God, you cannot own any property, you cannot have any wealth. We know Barnabas had wealth. In fact, we think he was a self-funded missionary. We know at least in some parts of his life, Paul had that kind of wealth. He could rent his own house when he got to Rome uh, in his first period of waiting for the emperor to see him. So this doesn't mean that in order to always be pleasing to God, this command goes to everyone. I really do think it is Jesus looking into the heart of this man and saying, I think you're aware you're having a fight between God and money in your heart. So let's just do something that would definitively prove to you that God wins. Give away your money. If you guys have not been coming on Wednesday night, Jeremy has been doing this great series on the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. A lot of that orbits around the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, it's really clear that wealth and money can be and is often viewed as a blessing from God. And on Wednesday night, Jeremy's done a really good job of talking about how that works. And in most of the Old Testament, people who are wealthy are viewed as someone who have pleased God and therefore have been blessed by God. So money and wealth and possessions are not uniformly something that's evil in Scripture. But interestingly enough, when we read Jesus and we read the New Testament and we read several of the prophets, money is is not an unalloyed blessing. It is not an unmixed blessing. It has dangers attached to it. My money is meant to be a blessing and a tool. God gives me these things because he wants me to survive, be able to take care of my family. And frankly, I think God gives us all of us good things because he kind of likes doing that. He made the world so that it would be full of things that give us joy. And whenever I enjoy something in the world from God and I give him thanks for it, I think he's happy about that. That's a way in which he and I can communicate. Thank you once again. So I think if you have money, and however much money you have, everybody's got some. None of us have as much as we wish we did, probably, but everybody's got a little. If you have money, that's meant to, that's meant to be a blessing for you. And it's meant to be a tool for you. You are here, especially if you're a Christian, you are here now to be a little place on earth where God sort of comes down and spreads his influence out into the world. And so your money, just like everything else about you, is now a a gift for you to give out to the world to figure out how you can use it to be effective. Taking care of your kids, taking care of your family, taking care of your loved ones, that's a good way to use your money. Taking care of other people too, that's a good way to, to use your money. Seeing good causes that need support, that's a good way to use your money. 
Uh, people at Wilshire are very generous to Wilshire itself. That's a good way to use your money. We're grateful for that. This is not a fundraising sermon. Uh, you guys are already, I think, blessed by that gift of generosity. It's meant to be a tool. You, if you have it, it's meant to be a tool. But here's the, here's the warnings that we get over and over again. Jesus says, like in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I'm telling you, money is a master and you can't serve two masters. You're going to end up, in your life, you're going to end up having to make conscious choice whether to serve money or God. Because if you just rock along and don't give that any conscious thought, money wants to take over. You ever hear anybody talk about my money? My sermon title, my money. You realize that every time you say my money, your money is trying to say my human. Oh, I'm going to take my money. I'm going to invest. I'm going to take my money. I'm going to buy. I'm going to take my money. And every time you say that, your money is going, I'm going to take my human and do this. I'm going to take my human and do that. I'm going to take my human and use them for this purpose or that purpose or the other thing. Money is trying to be your God. It's working on you to be your God. It is the God of many, many people in our world. And if we are unconscious or we're not warned, uh, then, then that will just be a natural thing for many, many humans to fall into and for us to fall into. Money wants to be the center of your life and what you are focused on. Yeah, but I, I want to have time with my kids. Yeah, but you're not really making any money with your kids. Come over here and spend that time making more money. But I want to invest in my family. I want to invest in my wife or my husband. I want to, yeah, but you're not really getting paid to do that. Come over here and make some more money. I want to serve my church. Yeah, but you don't really get paid to serve the church. Come over here and, and serve my me, money says. Come over here and make some more money. Money wants to own you. That's kind of the gist of the warnings that we get throughout the New Testament. Money is after your soul. It is trying to get its hooks into you to have you just be an agent of money. To have nothing left in your life except the effort that you expend to get and then spend money over and over and over again. I'm supposed to use my money to please God. I'm supposed to use it to please God, not to let it use me. My money is meant to be a blessing and a tool. I'm supposed to use it to please God, not to let it use me. And I think that's the way we understand this story of this rich man. I think Jesus looked into his heart and said, you are torn between these two masters. You are torn between really truly wanting to please God and being dragged around by your connection to money. If you're really worried about that, let's do this. Get rid of money. Come follow me. Live like I live, Jesus says. That's what he says. Just make it clear to yourself, make it clear to everyone else 
That money is no longer your master. That 100% you've sold out to God. Well, that brings up a lot of questions, as you can imagine. And the rest of this section is about those different questions that come up. Jesus turns to his disciple after the young man leaves. And and he says, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And they asked, well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with humans, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's a great story by itself. I actually could have just made that the sermon text for today because there's so much in there. Jesus says, for a rich person to get into heaven is like taking a camel and jamming it through the eye of a needle. That is such a shocking image that if you go and look at the history of preachers and teachers who have talked about that image, you get a variety of different views as to what that might be. When I was a young man, I ran across more than one commentary that said, yeah, there was this small gate uh, coming into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, It was a big gate, but then when they closed it down, they just had a small gate. And you really couldn't get a camel through there unless you took off everything that it had and it had to go through on its knees. See, now that'll preach, right? You take away all your stuff, you get down on your knees, you can come before God. Yeah, that's really good. It's just not true. It's a sad thing. It's not true. As far, I mean, there's no evidence of that anywhere any, uh, uh, with the archaeology of Jerusalem in the first century. It'd be so cool. I wish it were true, but it's not as far as we know. Other people have said, well, camel sounds a lot like this other slang term that sailors would use for a really big rope. So if you took a really big rope, tried to jam it through a little needle, uh, maybe that would uh, be, you know, it would be hard to do that and Maybe that's what Jesus was talking about. I don't think so. Jesus, this is the way Jesus preached, remember? He said, if you're having a problem with lust, you may just want to poke your eye out rather than let that lust continue to have a home in your heart. Jesus was an over-the-top preacher. He used over-the-top exaggerations. So when he says, camel through an eye of a needle, I think he means camel through an eye of a needle. (laughs) I don't think he's kidding. And he says, that's really the difficulty. Riches is trying to be our God. It is trying to have its hooks into our hearts. And if we don't do anything about that, it will win. It will get us. You don't have to be rich for this to be a problem spiritually. Riches, money, whether you are what the world would call rich or the world would not call rich, That does not matter for the warning that Jesus, I think, is giving here. Money wants to own you. And the disciples realize that. They say, well, who can be saved? A lot of different people have had a lot of different opinions as to why would they say that? Why didn't they just say, good thing we're poor then, huh? Who then can be saved? Well... Some people say that that goes back to that whole idea that the Old Testament refers to. And again, I'm going to recommend once more, 
Jeremy's Wednesday night class. He's about to finish it up. You only have a few more times you can come. So make sure you're here. Uh, that in the Old Testament world, at least the world of the wisdom literature, usually to be rich is to be blessed. The richest people are the best people. Now, Proverbs, as Jeremy has pointed out many times, Proverbs is not a book that tells you the way it absolutely always is. It's not laying out spiritual laws that are never deviated from. It is wisdom. It is, by and large, this often works this way. And it is true, and in fact, sociologists have a very rich database about that. If you are a righteous person, oftentimes that will be accompanied by being more prosperous than you would have been otherwise. Uh, You know, if you uh, are not spending 25 to 50% of your time drunk or high, you will do better than someone who is drunk or high 50% of the time, financially. If you are able to be sexually pure and chaste before marriage, and if you are able to be faithful within marriage, you will do better financially than people who can't do those things. If you are honest in your dealings, even when you could get away with stealing, And you're attracted to people who are honest in their dealings, even when they could get away with stealing. If you do that, you will do better financially than people who do not do those things. And over and over and over, we have a very, by now, extremely rich sociological database on this. If you are righteous in the ways that religion, Christianity, but other religions too, teach you to be righteous, you'll probably do better. So I think that's what Proverbs is getting at. I think that's all true. But there's a warning. Money wants to own you. Money wants to get its hooks into you. And you cannot let your value as a human being be equated with the value of your bank account. That just cannot happen. And that's what will happen. That's one of the ways that money does get its hooks into you, into me. In the Old Testament, you know, a lot of times if you're a righteous person, you you do end up wealthy. Abraham ends up wealthy. Isaac is wealthy. Jacob is wealthy. Joseph is super, super duper wealthy. Those Those are blessings from God. But you cannot equate wealth with worth. My money has nothing to do with my worth before God. And when Jesus says it's harder for it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than to take a giant camel and try to thread it through a sewing needle, I think he is trying to help us realize a spiritual truth that's real and important. Money can hold you back from being the person that God wants you to be. Love of money, the pursuit of money, slavery to money, these things can hold you back from being who you need to be. 
Over and over again, I compare myself to other people. And if they have more money than I do, I tend to think I'm less than they are. That is the way our world tends to work over and over and over again. Money is not your worth. It is not your worth in God's sight. With human beings, Jesus says this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Peter has this question in in final response. We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Jesus uh, gets this question from Peter and the other apostles. Well, we've given up everything. We did what the rich young man wouldn't do. We are out here with you. We're sleeping uh, under the trees, and we're just living hand to mouth. Whatever somebody will give us for the day, that's what we eat. If nobody gives us anything. We go hungry. We fast. You know, that's our life. We've done those things, and Jesus says, it's worth it. It's so worth it. You'll have a hundred times as much as anything that you've given up in the renewal of all things. Jesus has said this many, many ways in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't store up for yourselves here on earth money and stuff. Because money and stuff here on earth can be stolen, it can be rotted, it can be corrupted, it can be debased, it can be devalued. Don't put, don't invest here in this world. Invest in heaven, invest in God's grand plan to fix everything and to bring the, as Jesus calls it here, the renewal of all these things back to where they should be. Invest in that. The only place my money is secure is invested in God. The only place your money is secure is invested in God. You use your money to take care of your loved ones, I think you're investing it in God. You use your money to care for those who are poor, I think you're investing it in God. You use your money to contribute to the mission work of this church or the other things this church, I think that's investing it in God. You, you use your money to help somebody who you know is struggling. And they don't ever even find out who gave them that money. You give it totally anonymously. You are investing in God. You give your time, same thing. You give your effort, you give your best brain power, same thing. You cannot keep this stuff. Time eventually is going to take it all away from you in this life. But everything that you are able to give for those good, godly purposes, God remembers. And there is no sacrifice that you make for God that is not worth it. God remembers and you will receive a hundredfold back. That's just the way... Jesus wants us to understand. This world tells us if you don't keep your money, if you don't hold on to it, if you don't grasp it, if you don't cling to it, then who knows what's going to happen. Jesus says, I'll tell you what's going to happen. If you give it away for God, if you use it properly for God, it's coming back to you a hundred times over. 
Don't let money boss you around. Don't do it. Let God be the boss of you. Let Jesus Christ be the boss of you. Come and follow him. And all this other stuff will be added to you as well. If you need to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you need prayers or help, something else that this church can do, you can come forward and we will, we will strive to help you. If you are ready today to receive baptism, to wash away your sins, begin a new life, taking the name of Jesus Christ as your own, if you want to take that step, we invite you to come as we stand and are led in song.